This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. In 1 Samuel chapter uh, 13, this is the beginning of woes for King Saul. And I want to talk about Saul and his sacrifice for just a little bit this morning because I think there's a lot of things that we can gain from that and apply to us today and, and that we can use to, to this very day. King Saul is, is supposed to offer a sacrifice there, uh, to get God's blessing to go to war. And they're, they're going at it with the Philistines, their, their usual foe. And, and Samuel's supposed to show up. And Samuel's the one that has the authority to offer this sacrifice, not Saul. But Samuel didn't show up. He was late. Took him seven days to get there. Now, I've been late before, <laughs> but I've never missed it seven days. But Saul did. Um, Samuel did. And Saul saw the people were being scattered, and the armies of the Philistines were coming upon him, and he decided, we got to do something. So he offered the sacrifice trying to get God's blessing for Israel. And as luck would have it, about the time he got done doing the sacrifice, guess who showed up? Samuel. And Samuel said, what have you done? You have done foolishly. And eventually it cost him his kingdom. But you know, I can understand the straits that king was in. I can understand that maybe every now and then we need exceptions to the rules. God didn't look at it that way. Yeah, they were in dire straits. There's no doubt about that. They were having all kinds of issues, and people were scattering and hiding in caves and, and everywhere else, pits and anything they could find to get away from this enemy. You would think that God would make an exception, wouldn't he? But he didn't. When God told them what he wanted them to do, he meant this is what I want you to do. And there wasn't special circumstance. There wasn't a special reason where it made it okay. We either follow God or we don't. So the first thought I have on this is how did we get here in the first place? What led up to us having a king? Because up until then, they had been ruled by judges. Oh, I want you to look at 1 Samuel 13, 1. Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over it, boy, it didn't take him long, did it? He had reigned one year, and then in the second year, here we go. It did not take them long to get away from what God wanted them to do when they started making special circumstance excuses, and we just need this. How did we get here? You know, I've always felt sorry for King Saul. He was a strapping young man. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody, according to the Scriptures. He was a big boy. He was out. He wasn't looking to be a king. He was hunting some animals that his, from his daddy's farm that had gotten away. You know, Chance, when he was in college, run some cows out with his granddad. And I asked Chance one day, I said, son, have you checked on your cows lately? And he said, no, not lately. He goes, dad, why would they just leave? I don't know. <laughs> they just do. And every now and then you got to go. And that's what Saul was doing. And if you've raised animals, any kind of animal at all, every now and then one of them gets out, and then you go searching to find that animal. 
and they decided this is the guy that's going to be our king. I don't know what experience he had at being a king. Probably very little. But how did we get here in the first place? In 1 Samuel chapter 8, back up a few chapters. Verse 19, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we may be like all the other nations, and our king may go out and fight our battles, that we may be like everybody else. That's what was happening. We want a king over us. Now, in all fairness to the people, Samuel was a good man. Samuel was a good judge over Israel. But he had some sons, and he intended for his sons to become judges. They took bribes. They rendered judgment to the highest bidder. We got a guy that works with the parole office out of Grayson County, and he said he feels sorry for a lot of the defendants because you're innocent till out of money. <laughs> and these judges, if you had the money, it went your way. Yeah, who likes a justice system like that? Now, Samuel told him, it's going to get worse. You don't think it can. And that's something you should never say. Well, it can't get worse. <laughs> yeah, it can. And when this king comes, I'm going to tell you what he's going to do. He's going to raise an army. There goes your young men. And somebody's got to take care of that army, and there goes your young women. And somebody's going to pay for all this stuff, his building projects and his armies and his battles. And that's going to be the old folks left at home get to pay the taxes. But they refused to obey the voice of Samuel. We want to be like everybody else. You know, when the kids were growing up, we mostly went to smaller struggling congregations trying to do the work and try to get them on their feet and help them out a little bit. And I've had people go, don't you want your children to go where everybody else goes? Where all their friends are? You know, it's nice to have lots of children. In building this building in Gunner, we had to do a breakdown of the congregation. We are blessed. We have 50 kids from 10 years old to newborn. And it's nice to have that. But no, I wasn't particularly interested in mine being with their little buddies on the Lord's Day. You know, I found out that they went to school about six to eight hours a day, five days a week, and then they, if during football season, they're breaking down film on Saturday, so they're up there on Saturday. They're with their friends six days a week. Don't you think I can teach them to give God three hours? Come on, folks. Sometimes they would tell me, go, I know what your problem is. You don't like my friends. I don't know how you would answer that. I know how I answered it. Bingo. <laughs> we need new friends. That's what we need. Absolutely. Melissa got, a, I don't know, was it a tennis trophy or a golf? I didn't even know we were on the team. <laughs> I guess I don't keep up too good. You know what I mean? No, they got plenty of time to be with their friends. There's plenty of social stuff going on out there in the world. Don't you think we could teach them to give three hours to God? They don't got to be like everybody else. Now, here's where parents are hypocritical, if I may be so bold. Son, when everybody else is doing drugs, you don't do it. Daughter, when everybody's going out to these parties, you don't go. Dad, where are we going to church? Well, we're going where everybody else does. Think that one through, people. What, what message did you just send? 
You're telling them to think for themselves and stand on their own and just say no. But I don't. I go because that's where all my friends are. When Craig Kill was a mortician, he worked for a funeral home, and he, had, he made a change in that, uh, and I'm glad he did, and he needed to. They assigned him a church to go to, and they didn't go to little churches. Because, see, if you go to the big ones, brother so-and-so's the mortician, we'll get the business. Is that why we do it? Why are we doing what we're doing? Is it because we really believe this is what God wants us to do and we can read it out of his book? Are we making it up as we go along? Now, here's the problem Israel had. If you back up in 1 Samuel 8, you get to verse 7. And the Lord said to him, to, to Samuel, they have not rejected thee, but they've rejected me that I should not reign over them. You know what hurt Samuel's feelings? He was crying about it. You know, I feel that way sometimes in the evangelistic work and, and as an elder. I feel that way. And Bev always reminds me, goes, people are not leaving you. It's the Lord they're dealing with. But, you know, I take it personal. We do a Bible study and somebody decides, no, I don't want to obey the gospel. We take it personal. They've not rejected me. It's him. Now, when some of the brethren get up here and they pour their heart out to you and they're trying to talk Scripture with you, you're not rejecting the preacher. Israel had a king, and they forgot that. Now, let me tell you something, folks. This may come as a shock to some of you, so fasten your seatbelt. The church is not a democracy. The church is not run by popular vote. The church is a monarchy. And we have a king. We sang praises to his name all morning. We call him the king of kings and the lord of lords. And the king has told us what he wants us to do. Elders don't write scripture and elders don't change scripture. Elders were appointed to make sure the scriptures were followed. Now, we get to make some of the hard decisions like what time of day do you want to meet? <laughs> you know, the important stuff. What color should that wall be over there? And, you know, we managed to fight over that. I'm glad we don't have to make the hard decisions because the king has already done it. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's still in charge of his church. He's in charge of his kingdom, and don't you forget it. And Israel forgot that they had a king. But they wanted a different one. And that's where old Saul comes in. Now in Numbers 14, 18, it talks about the mercy of God. And God's forgiving God. But God is also going to be just with those that do wrong. And he says he will visit the iniquity to the fourth, third and fourth generation. Now let me, let me give you something here. Compare that to Ezekiel 18, 20. Because it sounds like a contradiction to me. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, nor the father bear the iniquity of the son, but the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. 
Well, I just read that God's going to hold them accountable to the third and fourth generation in Numbers. Now I'm over here in Ezekiel, and the son will not bear the end. You know what he's talking about, folks, in the book of Numbers? He's not talking about holding a father's sin against a son or a son's sin against his father. He's talking about the decisions you and I make are going to affect generations to come that aren't even born yet. That's what he's talking about. What we do today is going to have consequences a hundred years from now. Now, people may not remember our names. They may not remember everything that we preached. But they'll remember what we do. And they're going to follow. Maybe we are too much of dotting the I's and crossing the T's. But you look at these little ones. It's going to affect them and generations to come that aren't even here yet. We had the birthday party for Texie. What we do today is going to affect her children down the road. We've got to get it right, folks. We've got to make sure we're doing what God wants us to do because it's going to affect them down the road. I guarantee it. Last time we were out, we um, left on a Wednesday And all the way home, I've got Melissa and Bev with me. All the way home, I'm tired. I'm give out. I'm not going to church tonight. Hey, come on, folks. The sinners will be there tomorrow. They ain't going nowhere. It's okay. And surely they can make it through one service without tired Marlon being there. And all for six hours, I'm not going. I'm not going. And I'm talking myself into not going is what I'm trying to do because I know what I ought to do. So, I, so we, Bev and I, we get home, and we got the suitcases. We're coming in, and I told Bev, I'm not going. My little granddaughter, about six, seven years old, came up, and she goes, Granddad? I go, yeah. She says, our teacher does not give homework on Wednesday night. I go, really? She goes, yeah. She said, that's so we can go to church. And I've been saying for six hours, I'm not going. And then she goes, Granddad? I go, what, honey? She said, our teacher asked, how many of you go on Wednesday night? She goes, I was the only one that raised my hand. I told Bev, get ready. We're going to church. (laughs) And we did. You know what? That baby's not going to remember the sermons I preach. But she would never forget what I do. And it would affect them. And I was tired. I was give out. But that was, what, what signal am I sending to that baby? Think about it, folks, when we do things. And generations not born yet, it's going to affect them for generations to come. You know, the second thing, when you get back over here, I want you to drop down with me in chapter 13 to verse 5. The Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots. That's overkill. And 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward of beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets, rocks and high places, and in pits. You know what they did? They feared the enemy more than they trusted their God. Folks, that's easy to do. We do that all the time. We fear the enemy more than we trust God. I don't know why we do that, but we do. It tends to be a habit that we humans have. 
You know, Psalms tells us in 4 and 5, put your trust in the Lord. You know, that's easy to say. It's easy for me to stand up here and tell you, put your trust in the Lord when you've got things pressing in on you and you're in dire straits. Put your trust in the Lord. Went into a bank the other day, and a lady there had her desk, and she had a sign on it. And it's one of them little messages from God. And it said, this is God. I will take care of your problems today. And then it goes dot, dot, dot. No, I will not need your help. <laughs> I try to help God out every now and then, don't you? That's because we fear the enemy more than we trust God. We need to learn to trust in the Lord. You know, I love that serenity prayer. And most of you know that. You know, have the courage to change the things you can. Have the, the, the patience to accept the things you can't and the wisdom to know the difference. That's a great little prayer. There are things we can affect and there's things we can change, but there's some things we just got to trust the Lord. We put our trust in Him and not in self. In Proverbs 29, 25, it says, The fear of man is a snare, but the trust of God is safety. You want safety? Trust God. And sometimes that's hard to do because doing what the Lord wants us to do is not always easy. Matthew 10, 28. And when you put to this kind of test, it really does become real. Fear not them which are able to kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him which can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who do we fear most? Who do we trust most? We fear the enemy more than we trust God. That needs to change, folks. Jesus said, and sometimes it doesn't feel this way, in Hebrews 13 and 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. And you know the Lord's never left or forsaken. Now, the weak link in the chain, <laughs> it might be me that doesn't trust him, but he never left us or forsook us, and he never will. You know, we have a deal, a plaque hanging on the hall wall. I really like this one. How many of you, you're familiar with the footprints in the sand? That's trust in the Lord. That one set of footprints, that's when he carries you. We need to put our faith and our trust in God. Israel forgot that. They put their faith and trust in a king and forgot they had a king. And they, that king was going to solve all their problems. Now, come back over here to 1 Samuel 13 with me. If I can find this, I want to drop down. I want to drop down to verse 8. Well, let's go to 7. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass, as soon as he made an end of the, off of the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal. I have not made supplication on the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. 
For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart. The Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. I forced myself. You know what? Seven days. That's, that's, a, that's a week. <laughs> At least in our part of the country. <laughs> it's a week. That's a long time. You know, if I have any problems with the Lord, and I do, you know what the problem I have with him is? He doesn't work fast enough to suit me. He does things on his own time scale. You know what I mean? He was going to deliver Israel out of Egypt. Took him 400 years to get around to it, but he did it. You see, God doesn't look at things the way we do. He does it on his schedule, not on mine. We need to be, we need to be patient. I saw, I was driving down the road and got behind a, a pickup truck. And it had a bumper sticker on it. It said, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. <laughs> That's kind of where we're at, isn't it? You know, James, in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, he says, The trying of your faith worketh patience. Patience is something we're not good at. I, my oldest grandson uh, was riding with me back in the day. and He was a little fella. And we stopped, and I said, I'm going to get out and do this. You just stay put. He goes, Granddad, I'm not good at staying put. <laughs> and he opened the door and got out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we lack patience, and sometimes it starts very young, doesn't it? It doesn't really get any better as you get older. I've got news for you. In Romans 12, 12, it says to be patient in tribulation. Paul needed to be, uh, Paul, Saul needed to be patient. And trust in the Lord. And when Samuel got there, they would have done it right. And he'd have kept the kingdom. But his lack of patience and his fear of the enemy caused him to do things that were against God. Now, this is my favorite. This is my favorite. I saw that you weren't here. And the people were scattered. There's your special circumstance. And he's actually blaming Samuel for his problem instead of taking it on himself. He said, I forced myself to do this. You ever have to force yourself to do something? I just had to force myself to do this. That's an excuse. That's all that is. That's just an excuse, folks. That's not what really happened. I forced myself? Come on. Do you know what an excuse is? It's a subterfuge. It's a ruse. You know what that is? That's an educated man's way of saying it's a lie. <laughs> I have one guy, he was pretty clever. He said an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. I always look for uh, plausible deniability, and you fellows need to remember that term. Plausible deniability. I need to come up with a story that is plausible so I can deny what I really did. <laughs> Bev would be talking to me, and I'll start to explain myself. And she goes, and he willing to justify himself said. <laughs> Not the only one can quote the Bible in the family. I want you to know that. We do that, don't we? Saul was justifying what he did because he knew he didn't do what God told him to do. He was making an excuse instead of being obedient to God. Now, in Luke 14, you got three guys that make excuses when they were bidden to a great supper. One of them said, I bought some land, and I got to go see it. Now, I had a grandmother do that. We own land all over the West. Probably mountainsides, underwater. 
But grandmother, would, if she would see an advertisement for land, she'd send them the money and buy that land. I don't think any of it's usable, period. Some of it may be in the middle of a missile range for all I know. We don't even know where it's at. And finally, we had to take her checkbook so she would quit doing that. I fear if you could put it all together in one place, we probably own Utah. But, or me, at least half of it. And that, we realize that's taking advantage of elderly people. And she really thought she was doing good by buying this land. You bought land you hadn't seen? Well, son, I got a bridge I want to sell you. <laughs> Oceanfront property in Arizona? Absolutely. Who does that? That's an excuse. Then one guy says, I bought five yoke of oxen. I go go prove them. Now, I know every now and then we'll buy a vehicle sight unseen. Very rarely. Normally, we like to at least look at it. Like to hear it run if it will run. And we like to kind of take it for a test drive. This guy's got, this is his version of tractors. And he doesn't know what, I mean, they could be blind as a bat. They could be wild. They could be anything. You bought, you paid for these and you haven't seen them? And then the other guy goes, hey, I've married a wife. And I'm going, Hey, that's a good one. Now, that's a good one. I married a wife. I can't come. And you know, in Israel, if, when you got married, you were exempt from military service for one year. And so, I mean, you know, you got some Bible backing you here. God didn't accept it. What I'm sitting at is this. The very best excuse that a person could come up with, God did not accept it. Now, we're going to have to do something, folks. We're going to have to start doing what God's told us to do or we're going to have to come up with a real good story because he didn't buy this. Now, the king of all excuses is in Exodus 32, 21 to 24. I'm just going to tell you about this. Moses up on the mountain. He's come down. He's got the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. And Joshua meets him. They're going back to the camp. And Joshua goes, there's noise of war in the camp. Moses looked at him and goes, kid, I don't know what they're doing down there, but that ain't war. And they went down, and that's when they were worshiping that golden calf. So Moses tells Aaron, come here. I want to talk to you. So Aaron comes in, and he says, big brother, don't get mad at me. You know these people. They said Moses went up on the mountain, been there 40 days. We don't know what happened to him. We haven't even had a postcard or anything from him. He could be dead up there. They said, we've got to have gods to lead us. And I told them, I said, okay, give me your gold. And they brought gold to him. He goes, I took that gold, I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. That's a pretty good story, isn't it? Do you really believe that? My dad used to get aggravated at me and my brothers. We would get in his toolbox and get some of his tools, work on an old car or something. And for some reason, we, had, we could get them out of the box. We had a hard time putting them back. And he goes, where's my ratchet? And I go, oh. He goes, I guess it just sprouted wings and flew off, did it? That's what Aaron is trying to get Moses to believe. 
I took gold, chunked it into the fire, out come this calf. Do you believe that? Now that is not plausible deniability. I want you to understand that. And Moses didn't buy it and God didn't buy it. The fact is 3,000 of them are going to die. God was not happy with that. The point being this. Are we obeying God? Are we making excuses? That's the question. And whatever excuse we come up with, it's never a good reason to disobey God. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, you love me, keep my commandments. He said the same thing in John 15, 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what he expects. In John 8, we like the verse, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I think it's about verse 32 when you get to that one. And sometimes you'll go to a football stadium and you'll see that verse written, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You know what you don't ever see? You don't ever see verse 31. Right in front of it. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Jesus is the truth. How do you know the truth? By keeping his word. In John 12, 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. To reject the word of God is the same as rejecting Jesus himself. You can't do it that way. You can't believe in Jesus and reject his word. It doesn't work. We, God demands obedience. There's never a good reason to disobey God. Now, in Saul's case, he lost the kingdom. God's going to take it away from Saul, and eventually he's going to give it to King David, a man after his own heart. He lost a kingdom over it. His family lost out on that kingdom and that throne. We're not going to lose a kingdom if we disobey God, but we will lose a soul. We will lose our own soul and maybe the souls of generations that haven't been born yet. Folks, that's a mighty high price to pay. We need to obey God without excuse. We need to follow him even when we don't necessarily understand why we got to do things the way we do it. We do it because the king told us to. Now, there's forgiveness with God. When people repent, God would forgive. Even in the Old Testament, that's what Numbers 14 said. God would forgive. Through the blood of Christ, God's going to forgive. But we got to do our part, folks. And you're not going to get it making excuses. you got to obey God. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.